number 18, and um, it's, a, it's a lengthy chapter, I'm not going to try to read the whole thing before we begin, um, and we will attempt to get through this, we will, I will, by the grace of God, we'll, we'll re- read each verse as we go through it, a lot of it is just is information that's just given an idea of what it's going to be like in that day. Won't have to spend a lot of time on some of the verses. It just describes, really, um, the fall, the destruction of the world's economy uh, during the tribulation. Um, and so we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So I wanted to say that because I'm not going to read any of those verses right now. In fact, I'm just going to read verse one and verse two, so we can get the idea where we're going or what the context is about. And then we'll pray and then get into the message. Um, for this morning and after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become the the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful Bird. All right, what a way to start a chapter, but there's a reason for that, and so we'll see here in just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time we can have in the Word of God, and we thank Thee for the truth of it. And Father, sometimes the, the messages from God's Word are messages of judgment and destruction, and we need those. We need to understand, dear Father, that uh, the society we're living in today is not going to always continue um, and Father, that the only thing that lasts is thy word and, and thy salvation. For we remember that Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. He didn't say heaven and earth might pass away. He didn't say that as a hypothetical situation for comparison. But he said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. And we're thankful that we have in our hands this morning, the eternal written word of God. Help us by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I realize that we're, we're living in, in unusual days and, and we're dealing with this and every time uh, we hear from a missionary, for example, we just heard from the, the, um, yeah, who's the accurates who are going to Ecuador, all kinds of restrictions down there in Ecuador. Children are not allowed to even te- go to Sunday school or church right now, all kinds of things, and so we have to deal with that. But, and, and so a lot of the political ads and stuff are, are talking about that. Um, but I, I said that to say, most of the time, most political ads have something to say about the economy. And this man is going to do this. Well, actually, they're not really saying much about that. They're basically saying what the other guy didn't do. And, and so, but anyway, um, and I said all that because this chapter, as we go through Revelation chapter 18, is going to describe for us the, basically the destruction of the world's economy. And so many people, and even believers, and I've talked to people over the years, and that getting close to election, oh, it's the economy, the economy, the economy, as if that's the most important thing. But the Word of God always emphasizes the spiritual above the physical, the material, the economical. In fact, you know, the Bible says we're not supposed to focus on those things. We're to focus on the Lord. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. 
shall be added unto you. And all these things refers to food, clothing, the things that we need in our world. And so along with that, we can be greatly encouraged by the, the scripture that we read in Psalm 50 where uh, the Bible says, The world is mine and the fullness thereof. And I own the, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills. Every beast of the field is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. So um, I don't know where any of you are on this. Uh, I'm not in big and I don't even know some of the con- uh, conspiracy theories you know, the, about the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and all the people who supposedly control the earth's wealth and all the stuff that we don't know, and yet people say they know. But, you know, that really means nothing because the Bible says God owns everything. And God has allowed, God allows people to have certain things. And, and so we just need to be reminded of that. So any election, this happens to be an election year and a pretty important presidential election, really the economic things are really not, you know, our country is not going to be judged by God because of its economy, all right? Our, our country is going to be judged by God on how we, how, we, how we are righteous and how we follow the word of God. Because the Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation. doesn't say wealth exalteth a nation, it says righteousness exalteth a nation, and but sin <clears throat> is a reproach to any people. All right, and uh, our country has blood on its hands for the millions of unborn that have been murdered, and now this. I'm, I get. I hope there's nobody from the government. But this supposedly, I read that the woman who's running for vice president with with Mr. Biden says that she believes that babies should be allowed to be aborted after they're born, and they're pushing that. All right, that's murder, and the Bible says God will not pardon innocent blood. All right, and so there's all kinds of other things going on in our country, and so we need to be more concerned about those things and pray that God somehow will have mercy upon us and, and, and help us to get people in office who will take a stand for what's right, not for what's Republican or Democrat or whatever, but what is right according to the word of God. And so, and, and that is very, you know, that goes along with the scripture. It goes along with what the Bible says about the rise and fall of nations. And in chapter 18, we're going to see the chapter is all about the final destruction of what we started to talk about a few weeks ago, the one world religious system. Now, and I include chapter 18 under that heading of the one world religious system because it refers to it again as a woman. It refers to her as Babylon the Great. At the end of the chapter, it refers to her as being responsible for the deaths of many of God's people. And so really, it's just another, it's a, more details concerning the whole situation with Babylon the Great. What we find in chapter 18 is that this, this one world religious system has somehow taken over the world economy because people have submitted themselves to it. All right, so let's see. So starting off in chapter 18, there is a proclamation, <clears throat> verses 1 through 8. First of all, there's a proclamation concerning Babylon. Again, let me just read this. It says, And after these things I saw another angel 
uh, come down from heaven having great power. In other words, God has given this angel power and authority and to relay a message. And here, uh, having great power, the earth was lightened with his glory. And I couldn't, when I read that verse, I couldn't help but think about the shepherds in the field. We're getting close to that time of year. And how it says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. So same type of situation here. But not to announce the good news of Jesus' birth, but to announce the judgment coming upon this system. And he cried mightily, verse to a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And so as John sees this and hears this, uh, this system is described this way, that it's fallen. And I, I think it's, to me it's interesting and significant that it talks about the fact that, sh- that it's fallen before it's judged. So the fall of this system was when it, when it began and when it turned away from God and when it went on in its wickedness and its evil and it fell into all kinds of sin and degradation, so much so that it's described as being the habitation of all these evils. And they really meant in the spiritual sense, demons and evil spirits and false teachers and all kinds of spiritual wickedness. 4, verse 3, goes right along, all nations, all peoples, everybody on the earth, all the nations of the earth during the tribulation, we're talking about that right now, have drunk of the wine, all right? They've, in other words, they've drank the Kool-Aid, as, as that terrible saying, as a result of Jimmy Jones and the awful things that happened there. But they've, they've, been, they've come under the influence of this Deadly system. The wrath of her fornication, her unfaithfulness, her spiritual adultery and whoredom and harlotry of presenting a false system. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. They've joined in. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And delicacies are, you know, it's not like snails or things like that. We talk about as delicacies. It's talking about luxuries, a luxurious living that many, that these have. In fact, it isn't interesting. I find it fascinating. It's because of her influence. Following her, they became rich materially, but bankrupt spiritually. And so there's, we could say more, but that's, we'll leave that at that. And then there's a, a, a proclamation for the people of God. Because during the tribulation, there will be people saved. And, and yet there's an application to God's people for all generations because we have established over the last few weeks that this system has been in existence away since the days of Nimrod, since the Tower of Babel, and even before that, most likely, false gods and so on false worship, all these kinds of things. And so here's the message to the people of God. Here's the word of God to us today. We're living now. We're not living in the tribulation. And thank God we won't be living in the tribulation down here. We'll be with the Lord. But there is still an application. There's a message for us. And what is that message? I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her. Come out of her. My people. 
God's people, saved people, come out of her, that ye be not partakers of her sins, so that you don't join in, so that you don't participate, and that ye not that ye receive not of her plagues. Now God. In his word, we've seen throughout our study that God has protected his faithful ones from the plagues that he sends on the earth. <clears throat> but he says not so to those who compromise, who compromise with this false <clears throat> religious system. I believe that when a, great, a good example in the Old Testament, as Brother Lynch pre- pre- uh, preached a message when he was here on the life of Lot, Yeah, Lot was saved. In fact, the Bible says Lot was a righteous person with a righteous soul. But he said he vexed his own soul. He vexed his soul by the ungodly deeds. And he didn't do the ungodly deeds, but he compromised with it. Didn't take a stand against it. All right? But this is even talking about more so, worse than that, participating. Why? For her sins have reached unto heaven. And God hath remembered her iniquities. Not like God forgot, but when the Bible talks about God remembering, it's the idea that time, the time for vengeance, the time for recompense, the time for retribution is now here. Right? And so God is going to deal. Verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. So, so God is going to do that. God's going to pay double or repay or judge. And I I couldn't help but think that uh, this double judgment, there's an application to the fact that this system was wicked in itself. The leaders of it, they're wicked. They departed from God. But they're doubly wicked because they led others astray. And millions have been led astray down through the years by this false system. I hope we've documented it. Um, enough that you understand, and we'll, we, we may have some more to say about it here in, in, the, day, in the days ahead. So, retribution. How much she hath glorified herself, verse 7, and lived deliciously, luxuriously. So, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen. And am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And so God is going to pour it out, and there's going to, it's going to be a sudden fall, a sudden judgment, um, a sudden destruction. And of course we see that her um, there is her arrogance there where she says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. In other words, nobody can touch me. I'm where I'm at. I'm where I am. By the way, that's a quote or that's referred to in Isaiah chapter 47 of the Babylon that conquered Jerusalem, the nation Babylon. And well, and well it should because they, the, the ancient nation of Babylon served and worship the gods, the small g gods of their ancestors and of that whole system. 
Remember that Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, too bad because we remember them by their Babylonian names, if you probably shouldn't, but Nebuchadnezzar gave them the names according to his gods to try to make them Babylonians. And turn them away from being Israelites and, and Judahites. And they, they remember they said, we will not, we won't, we will not give in. And so they were there in Babylon. They didn't have any, they did not have any choice about the matter, but they they were not, they were in Babylon, but they were not of Babylon. All right? Just like to, as believe as Christians, the Bible tells us that we we are in the world. There's, we, we can't help it. Um, you know, there's no other place for us to live, okay? We can't go to Mars or the moon, you know. So we're in, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And that's what the Bible says here. Come out of her, and this is what's going to happen. She is going to be judged for strong. See, she thinks she's strong. She thinks she's mighty, but God is the strong one. Now, he allows these things to continue for a time. And somehow, and I, I really, it's not hard to figure out that God gets so much more glory when we're able to be faithful in the midst of all this. And that's what God calls upon us to do. Like the hint we sang, hold the fort. Hold the fort. The devil and all his forces are against us. But the Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? And we wouldn't know that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't experience the grace and help and power of God if the, unless there's enemies for us to face. And of course, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and, Adam and Eve when they disobeyed and sin came into the world and Lucifer rebelled and he became the devil. And all these things continue. And we are, God is putting us to the test. And God did not make us a bunch of robots. We have a mind and, and we have a brain and, and so on. And God wants us to follow him of our own free will, of our love and our, our devotion to him and, and to stand against the wiles of the devil. And again, if you go to the book of Job, you realize that God is the one who brought Job to the devil's attention. And God allowed the devil to do some pretty rough things to Job, all right? And yet he said to the devil, Job's going to stand. Job's going to stand. And Job did. I mean, he, he certainly questioned and he suffered, but you know what? In the end, God vindicated him, didn't he? God justified. And the Bible says that he gave Job twice as much as he had before. And so, and yet, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that said God ever explained Never explained to Job. And we know because we read the book. And now, if Job, maybe Job got to read his own book, we don't know that. But anyway, the point is, God is not obligated to explain to us, but He gives us enough in His Word for us to continue. And so, there's the judgment coming. All right, now the next, the second thing is this there is some particulars. And verses 9 to 19, really, if you want to call it this, it sets forth the destruction of the world's economy. Now, this, of course, is referring to those who have turned against God. They followed the system. God promises to, prov to provide for his own, and so we need to look to him. Now, it says here, it breaks it down into three categories. Number one, the effect on monarchs or kings. It says, and the kings of the earth 
rulers who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament um, for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning standing afar off for the fear of her torment saying alas alas that great city Babylon that mighty city for in one hour is thy judgment come now this there can be some question um, whether this is referring to a re- rebuilding of an actual city Babylon or, or of Rome as what seeming to be the headquarters of that religious system but you know but they notice see, they've seen its destruction and they mourn that they mourn that. Then we have the merchants, the business owners. It says, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. Now, that's not because they loved her, <laughs> but they loved the stuff. They loved the goods. They loved the money. They loved the prosperity. So, because no man, no man buyeth their merchandise anymore, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors. I mean, it covers the whole, the whole realm of business, doesn't it? And ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. Find that interesting and sad that these, this business ruled over, ruled over the world so much that it, it, got, it grabbed a hold of the souls of men. And there's this country today, every country on earth, there are people who are slaves to the economy and slaves to money and slaves to riches. And, let's, and, and let me just interject in here. Remember, the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is neither good nor bad. Somebody wrote this. I don't know if it, who it was, a preacher, I guess, or somebody years ago. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. All right? Money is a great servant. I mean, you can take the earthly things and goods and, and you can use them greatly to serve God. And we praise the Lord. I thank God that we, God has, has helped us so financially that we're able to send money to missionaries all over the world and help them and for eternal things. And, and so, again, there's nothing wrong. Job, getting back to him, he, the Bible says he was the greatest man of the East, and it tells all the, all the things he had. Right now, but, but, and, and Abraham was a rich man. But the difference was they put God first. And when Job lost everything, he still served God, worshipped God. God was his focus, not things. And see, the devil made a false accusation because that's what he is. He said, Job only fears you, God, because of all the stuff. And because you've built a hedge. What does that mean? The devil says, you know, man, God, I've been trying to get at this guy. You won't let me. So God says, all right. Go, go ahead, but here's the, here's the limits, right? But so, people are under the spell, if you will, 
of, of things and of possessions and money and, and economic things. And, and so um, the souls of men. Oh, boy. See, that, the, underline that if you, in your Bibles, if you will, because that is, that's the battle right there. That is the battle, the war that's going on. And the Bible talks in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the New Testament makes much more of an emphasis on the spiritual warfare, um, the enemies that we face, um, and the enemies are there, and they are. It, it is a war over the souls of men. I, mean, I think you under, most of you understand. Maybe all of you understand that, because it's the eternal destiny of every soul that is at stake. Jesus Christ died, shed his precious blood, gave his life, and rose again from the dead, and lives today to save. The Bible says, "God sent not his Son." into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the word for world there is very clear in the original. It is the word that refers to the inhabited earth. In other words, the human race. That's what God's intention was. That was his burden. That was his love. God so loved the world. And that's that the inhabited earth. And he gave his son. And so that's why it's such so dangerous. Why it's such a temptation, and how and why it's strong to allure people away from the truth. It's because it's the souls of men. All right, let's continue on. In verse fourteen, the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. Now, there's a key word there. In verse 14, we just take a moment to look at it. It's that word lusted. It, lust means too, too strong of a desire, an inordinate desire. Would you agree that there is a, a, a wrong emphasis today? Too much emphasis on physical and material and, you know, all that, right? And in back in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer talks about it's a blessed thing when the rulers, you know, they eat because they for nutrition and just to live and not for covetousness. I heard one guy said one time he was kind of, I forget was worth what the what the setting was. It was years ago, and somebody said, well, you know, some people um, some people uh, eat to live, other people live to eat, right? So that's the idea there. The the over the overdoing the over too much of a desire for things of this earth. And, you know, it plagues people. It was, that was one of the problems in Egypt. And when God took the people out of Egypt, somehow the people took Egypt with them in their hearts. And there was, so it's always been a problem. And, and the Bible talks about gluttony and, and, and talks about just overemphasizing and over-desiring the things of this life. And they can become a god. And Jesus said there in Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon, the word mammon literally means money or material things. And so all this, all of it's gone. And so the merchants of these things, verse 15, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. And obviously the part of that weeping and wailing is because they, they understand that the judgment, God is pouring out judgment. 
and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught. One hour. Just in just a, just a brief period of time as God just pours it out, his judgment, it's gone. And I, I'll tell you, <clears throat> I, I can see why. When, per, when a person's heart and mind and their life is, is so occupied and so tied to material things and, you know, the economy and... Um, and I don't mean this. I mean, there's a guy, I haven't seen him lately, but he used to go into the, into the gym, and we'd walk on treadmills side by side, and we'd talk and everything. And he, he always had the stock market channel on because he, he had to find out. He did, I mean, not, again, if you, I'm not into that. I don't, I don't. But anyway, if you have some investments, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. Just make sure it doesn't become our, your God. But I mean, he had to, every day he had to see, oh, and he was like, oh no, you know, if it went up, yeah, if it went down, you know. And so we can be tied to those things, and it's going to be gone someday. Um, for one hour, so great riches come to naught, and every <clears throat> shipmaster, okay, here's the, here's the truckers, you know, here, here's the people that deliver the stuff, all right, uh, says, uh, and if you, anyway, that's what, you know, what I'm saying. In those days, it was ships, all right. Didn't have planes and all that. Every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? So somehow they're going to be aware of the destruction. It's going to be there for everybody to see. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich, all that had ships in the sea, by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Well, then there's a third thing, and that is this. There's a perspective, a godly perspective upon all this. Verse 20, first of all, there is a, there is a perspective in heaven. Rejoice over her, thou heaven. And you holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And again, many have died. Many of God's people died because through this system, through the persecution and so forth. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So there's the heavenly perspective. And then on earth, and the voice of harpers and musicians. Wow, think about, it's just going to deal with everything, take every, every area of life. The entertainment field. And pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee, and the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. So in other words, no manufacturing, no, no work. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. So it, it, just the basic things of life, relationships, all that, done, gone. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. So this is, notice it says, thy merchants were the great men of the earth. 
I don't, I've never, I guess I might have seen it. I've never read Forbes or the Fortune 500. Maybe the same thing, I don't know. But, you know, who's, who's lifted, who's held up in our, in our society today? The rich. You know, they don't have a thing about the greatest, the, the 50 greatest poor people. Right? You've never seen that one. <laughs> or, you know, they have the, you know, the 10 the greatest this and that and the other thing. And, uh, but it's all going to be Gone. Gone. Now we're going to be, we're going to be singing and praising God in heaven. I mean, the music up there is there's nothing like it down here. And, I, and I've heard some wonderful, I've heard some wonderful, wonderful, you know, choirs and, and groups and solos. And we've had some of them here over the years, but nothing like in heaven, the heavenly chorus. So there's going to be music and singing, and there's going to be joy, but it's not going to be for the ones that lived for just for the earth. All right. It's those that live for the Lord, those in heaven. And then we notice this. There is the blood guiltiness, verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. All right? So again, she's responsible. This system is a murderer. You know, it's a, it's a murderer spiritually because it, is, it, is, it, is, it, it has allowed and encouraged millions to stay dead in their sin spiritually dead but it's also a murder physically murderer because she has been responsible for the physical death of millions of God's people down through the centuries now to them to those who have died there's there's a tremendous eternal reward in fact, we get to Revelation chapter 20. Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom's kingdom. One of the special, those who are specially noted and given a special place in the kingdom are those who were beheaded for the witness of God and have not received the mark of the beast. So those tribulation martyrs, they're going to have a special place. God always does that. God always does that. He rewards those who suffer all right, I got just a couple more verses. Please turn to, to uh, two verses in the Old Testament and one verse in the New, and then we're done. But Psalm 37, 37. Psalm 37. I know that there's, maybe the message has, um, has, has raised more questions than it's answered. If that's the case, that's great. Write your questions. In fact, there's a thing in the bulletin um, uh, that if you have questions, I put that, made that offer on the back there, <clears throat> the pastor's desk. If you have questions about issues and things, I'd love to have them. Um, we, we're going to deal with some of them, particularly on Sunday night. And you'll know, if you come back tonight, you'll find out more about that. But anyway, uh, first of all, Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 16. Right? Psalm 37, verse 16. Simply says this. Just going to read it. I'm not going to make a comment. Then we'll go to a verse in Proverbs. Psalm 37, 16. Very clear. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Okay, that's that one. And then we have Proverbs 15 and verse 16. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. All right, very clear. All right, let's go to Mark 8, and, when that's, then, and we're done. Mark 8, 
verse 34. I like what, I like what, Mark, what Mark says here because it makes, some, it makes something pretty, very, very plain that the passage in Luke doesn't make quite as clear. And it's the fact that this message was not just for his disciples. Sometimes the Bible says he said to his disciples, but notice this, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also. So he brought everybody, everybody's listening, he, he brought them together, and he said to them, whosoever will come after me. In other words, if you're going to, be a, if you're going to follow Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I haven't got time to, to, to go into that right now. For whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it. In other words, those that want to hang on to their earthly life, they're going to lose it. Just like Revelation 18, it's all going to be gone. But whosoever shall lose his life, that is, surrender his life, for my sake and the gospel's the same, shall save it. All right, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man or a woman or a young person if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? In other words, what is a person willing to how, what would, it, would cause a person to be willing to sell their soul? Is that, that's the idea of that verse. And so, what profit? And obviously it's one of those rhetorical questions. What profit? There's no profit. No profit if a person gains the whole world and loses their own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? In other words, there's nothing. A soul is worth more than all the money and riches and things in the world. You can't put a price on a soul. There's just it's it's too valuable. It's so valuable that it cost the death of Jesus and the shedding of his precious blood. Verse 38, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And that doesn't mean that one time because of fear you forget to say something. You know, Peter denied the Lord because of fear. But it's the idea of a person who goes on and goes on that way. It's, it's a characteristic of life. If we're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us. And so, but, but keep that, I'd like, keep that one, verse 36 in mind as we close. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's nothing worth it nothing 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 worth it all right let's pray our dearest heavenly father we we thank thee for the precious word of god today for the truth of the word and for the power of the word and father we just ask that you, you would truly speak to every one of our hearts through the word today uh, whatever the need is encouragement or, or challenge or conviction whatever it may be that thou would do it for us and we'll thank thee in jesus name amen all right, let's take our hymn books. I would like us to sing a couple verses or so of a hymn, and then we will uh, observe the Lord's table. And, uh, the hymn is hymn number 374. 374. And uh, again, if you, if what we've message from God's Word, if that has raised questions in your mind, we encourage you. Let us know after the service. Um, but let's stand, please. I'm going I'm to remain up here this time.
and uh, so that we'll be ready to go into the observance of the Lord's table. But uh, Jesus calls us, all right? Let's, uh, this is a very short hymn, only take us a minute or two to sing it. So let's sing all the verses and just think about the truth of this great hymn, Jesus Calls Us. Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store. From each idol that would keep us saying, Christian, love me more. In our joys and in our sorrows, days of toil and hours of ease, still he calls in cares and pleasures, Christian, love me more than these. Jesus calls us by thy mercies. Savior, may we hear thy call. Give our hearts to thy obedience. Serve and love thee best of all. All right, as the songwriter said, that is a call. And you may be seated. Um, we will 